Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your god. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your host and King of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and tonight we are joined by a very special guest, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the man who by all accounts has created the definitive professional wrestling RPG, Worldwide Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, give a big, warm Rollin' Bones welcome to Mr. Nathan D. Pauletta. Nathan, how you doing this evening? Uh, I am good. Sorry, I just had a little confusion in my audio, so I'm sorry if I missed uh, missed something that you just said. Oh, all good, all good. Just uh, hello. Uh, just giving you a a warm Rollin' Bones welcome, as we are wont to do here on Rollin' Bones. So, uh, Nathan, basically, we're going to kick this off the same way we kick off every uh, episode with one small twist. Uh, I've got two additional questions that I'm just going to ask you here up front, since uh, this is a special wrestling edition of Rollin' Bones. Uh, So first and foremost, I got to ask, what was it that got you into wrestling? Where does that story kind of start? Uh, so I originally got into wrestling in college, actually, which is a, uh, I feel like the typical origin story is, you know, watching, uh, watching the matches on Saturday morning TV or whatever, uh, as a child, but no, I missed wrestling as a kid, but a college roommate got me into it. Um, so, uh, I actually entered in with the kind of transition into, uh, the ruthless aggression era of WWE, which depending on who you talk to may be uh, not the greatest time to get into wrestling, but you know, whenever you start is kind of what impresses on you. So Hmm. I have some, some positive associations with that stuff. Um, But yeah. uh, And then I got kind of out of it and then back into it much more heavily after I moved to Chicago um, and started getting into more like indie wrestling and stuff. So absolutely. Yeah, there. Chicago is one of the best towns to to get into any kind of indie wrestling. Chicago <laughs> loves its wrestling. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, I didn't move here for the for the wrestling, but it was a fortuitous match. Hmm. Absolutely, and believe it or not, we actually have a similar kind of background as as it pertains to getting into wrestling. I also did not watch wrestling as a kid, and I got into it when when I was in college. Uh, and and it was just kind of osmosis of I'm into comic books, I'm into role-playing, uh, 
the the people whose interests intersect with mine are also into this wrestling thing. So right around 2016, after what by all accounts was one of the worst WrestleManias in modern <laughs> history, uh, I started watching. Mm. And so, yeah, it's it, it's very, uh, very similar for me. I, I very quickly found a burning passion for wrestling that led me to even try to get into the squared circle myself. Which did not go well. <laughs> and of course, we have to ask, just, just getting kind of background here, and knowing a little bit about the era where you came in, uh, that might lend some uh, some hints as to the answer to this question, but who would you say your favorite wrestlers of all time are? <laughs> um, I mean, that's... Uh... I feel like that that's a question that's both easy and then if you want to, you know, use it as a launching off point for like, how do you even define, you know, good wrestlers? What What is your favorite thing about wrestling and who embodies that thing, right? Yeah. So do, do you want me to give you some, uh, some criteria uh, for this answer? Uh, no, I mean, it's my favorite. Well, I, my my favorite wrestler, um, you know, looking into my heart is actually uh, he is still still with us, still training, but sadly retired, um, uh, uh, Shibata, uh, uh, um, I'm blanking on his first name now. Anyway, uh, uh, New Japan, um, uh, wrestler named Shibata, uh, who sadly retired himself a couple of years ago with, uh, some egregious headbutts in a big title match. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, he's definitely, uh, once, once I discovered him, <laughs> he became my favorite. Uh, to keep things, I don't know, maybe a little more uh, open, open for conversation. Um, I mean, I've always loved uh, as a as as a problematic fave. I've always loved Macho Man. Um, I think, you know, there's uh, I, the thing about wrestling. So let me tell you the thing about wrestling. <laughs> the thing about wrestling is like uh, it's as the deeper you get into it, the more there is to explore and find and enjoy. And also the, like the, the central kind of duality of like real troublesome personal behavior also mm -hmm. becomes more and more prevalent. Uh, so as a, uh, you know, as a character, Macho Man is certainly my favorite wrestling character. I can uh, say that for sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, I could go on, but you can start there. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean that's that's definitely kind of a a thing you have to deal with as you get into wrestling as an adult. As an adult who gets into wrestling or is into wrestling, uh the more you learn about the people behind the characters you see on TV, the more you realize that the uh the adage of work hard play harder <laughs> is definitely uh definitely in play with many wrestlers. There's a lot of pain involved in professional wrestling, and as such, a lot of guys tend to uh, go to extremes to dull that pain. Mm -hmm. And and so there there definitely is a uh, a dark side of the ring to uh, <laughs> name drop a recent documentary series. It's I, I think one of the most interesting things about the like how wrestling is now like one of the most interesting transitions over probably 20 years or so has been how that lifestyle has i think really changed a lot for mm -hmm. contemporary uh wrestlers um like 
I mean, living a life on the road is hard. Like anyone who tours, like if you're in a band or, uh, you know, in the, in the, in any theatrical uh, profession or anything that tours, like that's a hard life. Uh, but I think the like culture of being in wrestling has really changed to where a lot of the people doing it now uh, seemingly have less of that stuff going on, mm-hmm. which is good. Like just in terms of being like healthier people who <laughs> are, uh, you know, coping with things in thing in ways that do not cause premature heart attacks and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's been a change for the better, I think mm-hmm. for sure. And I do think there's a couple different kind of factors there. Uh, now to kind of speak to what you said, one of the funniest things I've ever heard, I think it was Brian Kendrick giving mm-hmm. this interview because he he has kind of one foot in the old school and one foot in the new mm-hmm. school and he it was either him or someone else talking about the the differences between wwe backstage in 2005 and in 2017 mm-hmm. he was like everyone's just playing video games now right they're all just back there just playing video games mm-hmm. it's like doing crossfit and playing video games mm-hmm. Yeah, which is funny because, I mean, it, it kind of, I, you mentioned people sharing your interests, you know, osmosing you into wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then now we have wrestlers who also straddle the line back into the gaming community, like like mm-hmm. Xavier Woods and Kenny Omega and people like that, who like either through inclination or through deciding to make it part of what their deal is, mm-hmm. you know square the circle again back into uh, video games specifically for most people i think but uh it's that that venn diagram of interests um you know the wrestlers are kind of like how the people who are making movies now and the people who are writing games now are the people who grew up playing them or watching them or whatever you know the wrestlers now are the people who grew up seeing wrestling and wanting to be wrestlers like (laughs) Uh, and having that those overlapping fandoms themselves, I guess, is what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And there's even uh, now a bunch of wrestlers kind of looping back into the the pen and paper gaming uh, mm-hmm. thing, like people like Ember Moon and uh, Brandon Cutler. By the way, Brandon Cutler, you're welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> um, I, I've been trying to make that happen since like day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got the cross promotional gimmick right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, looping back into kind of the RPG conversation, we of course have to ask the uh, the question here: How did you get into RPGs? Uh, so that it, that that one's a a more childhood reaching back answer. Um, I actually got into D and D specifically through seeing the uh, red box at Toys R Us and asking my mom to buy it for me. Um, so I started my gaming career such as it is, um, kind of hanging out with, uh, this is in kind of like elementary school ish time. So hanging out with a friend on the playground with like the little list of, uh, stuff you could buy for your adventurers and buying stuff and then running around and pretending to, you know, stab werewolves with the wolf's bane because it was on the list so we bought it right um that kind of stuff uh just because i always loved fantasy stuff i was into you know the hobbit and lord of the rings and 
that kind of stuff. So that just kind of naturally led into this thing called Dungeons and Dragons. It had dragons in it. Why wouldn't I want to see it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just stuck with me. Um, and kind of as I, you know, as I got older and kind of understood the game part more and, you know, played with friends from school and stuff like that, uh, I definitely turned into the person who was always the dungeon master uh, or later the storyteller once I uh, found uh, Vampire the Masquerade and the White Wolf stuff um, and uh, just was always really into it and started having ideas for games and uh, looked, started looking into how does one make one of these games anyway? Uh, and that led me to the world of, and this was as, as the internet was becoming the internet. And so that led me into the world of self-publishing. Uh, and I started making my own games and, you know, here we are now. <laughs> Absolutely. So of all the games that you've kind of played over your, your years of, of gaming, what would you say is your favorite game that you've played oh boy i'm trying to think if my answer has changed because i because i'm like what have i played in the last couple of years <laughs> um i mean uh for me the once i started once i once i started getting into the self-publishing world and the indie self uh self-published stuff um that's really where my my heart ended up um i'd say one of my absolute favorite games of all time is a game called inspectors uh by jared Sorensen, which is a uh at the time it was like wow this is so it's a game where you play a franchise of spooky investigators um so it combines the uh the you know, the, the kind of premise of kind of like a, a Scooby-Doo through Ghostbusters kind of scale of stuff um, with the idea that you are essentially a franchise owner in a kind of reality TV oriented business and you are being, uh, you're kind of performing for your bosses as you uh, go out and solve spooky crimes. Uh, so it was really ahead of its time, I think, in terms of kind of a, meta layer of the game uh and also it's just like a super tight mechanically extremely efficient perfect little gym of a game that can be played uh over and over and it's always fun mm -hmm. so. absolutely gotcha now going back to those early days of dungeons and dragons uh or or even maybe not that far back because early characters often kind of fall by the wayside as far as memory <laughs> goes who was your first character or your first memorable character again i was always running games so that's part sure. of uh you know part of the the hesitation um i definitely had a uh, I definitely had a second edition paladin character that I wanted to play. Like, like I made this character and then like, I would be like, Hey, someone else needs to run a game so I can play this, you know, so I can play this guy. Like the full, like, like paladin flaming sword, 
uh, riding a Pegasus, like the whole, he was, he was set up to go in that direction, right? If he got to high enough level. Um, but uh, none of my friends wanted to run a game. So hmm. I didn't get to, and I, I didn't really get to play him more than once or twice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Elfie, the curse of the forever DM. Mm-hmm. Curse switch which up. is one reason why many of my games uh, now are are GMless, so that I get to play too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, gotcha. So, so as a forever GM, uh, a lot of us have a tendency to pick favorite NPCs that maybe follow us from world to world as we run our games. Do mm-hmm. you have a forever NPC? Uh, you know, outside of the context of worldwide wrestling specifically not really uh a lot of my games are really kind of i'm like i'm actually super interested in like structure and narrative and a little less so on individual characters uh so a lot of the time when i'm running a game i the the characters that come up are in service of like something thematic or something structural or something uh to move plot along. Mm-hmm. So I don't keep a super attachment to, um, yeah, to characters between games in worldwide wrestling, because I run demos of it so much. I have kind of a little group of characters that are my go-to, like, uh, like, like, like the uh, announcer character and, uh, who, the person who owns the company and stuff like that. Cause mm-hmm. those are roles that are always needed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Who's your general manager? Uh, so I've actually recently codified this so that it's in, so it's going to be in the book as well as just in my head. Um, <laughs> uh, because I've, I've, uh, put promotions together as a much tighter package for the new edition. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the, when I run worldwide wrestling and we set it in the promotion of the same name, worldwide wrestling, uh, the on-screen general manager is C. Colton Craig, uh, who is a very uh, uh, Hollywood-type kind of like leading man, um, kind of charismatic guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is he is in fact an actor that's hired by the company to play the general manager and is not a worker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then we can get into some duality with the uh, the actual, you know, the actual Booker uh, or whoever comes up uh, as a backstage person. Um, so like the actual owner is a, uh, is a, a woman named uh, Tina Terzi who used to be uh, used to serve as a backstage interviewer, like running around people with the mic, right. Uh, who went by Tina Tahini, but recently has been like, you know what? I need to just focus on the business side. I don't need to be on camera anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she has her own little backstory too, gotcha. but yeah. Gotcha. That's what I'll a, throw in when we need an authority figure to keep to, to get the get things rolling. Kind of a kind of a Dixie Carter type character. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. I kind of she started out as just the name Tina Tahini, and then over time, I was like, this is a name that is like it's kind of fun, but also after a little while, I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's actually great. Like, I don't love that name, but I like that it's some that I like the idea of someone who's like that used to be my character, <laughs> but that's not me. <laughs> So, gotcha. Yeah. So you've alluded to it a little bit uh, in your discussion of, of 
how you like to design your games. But when it comes to running your games, and then even when you get the chance to step on the other side of the screen and play, how would you describe your play style in both instances? Um, I So my play style... Uh, as a yeah, as a player, uh, when I have an individual character, um, I often like to be I, I like to be in kind of a support role a lot of the time actually, and I think this is kind of an overlap with always running games where I'm kind of like, you know, I'm I'm happy to help other people get the thing that they want for their character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often. Well, so I'll have, you know, maybe I'll like, a, a like the last time I played D and D for example, like, you know, I'll, I'll play the cleric. Like that's no problem. Um, I'm happy to be that person. Uh, but then if there's something that comes up, that's like, Oh, here's, here's like a little storyline opportunity for me. Uh, I will run after that with both hands and be like, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want, but usually it's what comes up during play. It's not that I enter a character with, something really strong in mind. Uh, I like to react. I'm more of a reactive player in that way. And then when I'm running a game, I I like to have a bunch of kind of ingredients ready to go uh, that I can kind of grab when needed and have kind of like a sketch of a plan. But um, one reason that the, that worldwide wrestling works the way it does is because it syncs up with my GMing. Well, I mean, I wrote it in order to, sync up with my GMing style, which is uh, having these kind of like structural elements that you know you have, but then be like ready to run with whatever the players throw at you at any time mm-hmm. and turn it all into kind of the coherent, you know, story that we see on screen. And then that syncs up with wrestling, right? So yeah. it's all chocolate peanut butter kind of situation going on there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, This is a difficult question for a lot of people because the kind of people who write games and and do shows like this, we have a lot of fond memories tied up with this hobby. But if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Uh, So, oh man. So for me, that's really t- tied up with social stuff for the most part, like the people that I'm playing with or the people that doing this allows me to see. Um, so uh, like there was a brief period in the early the early 2010s when uh, myself and a, and a group of other self-publishers uh, had a booth at Gen Con for a couple of years. And I think some... I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, that's it's a lot of work and uh, Gen Con's crazy, but that particular group of people, that particular time and kind of doing all that work together was like very, very, uh, was very exciting. And, uh, and, and being able to like have a really good reason to be at Gen Con is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, again, as a publisher, like you always kind of have to think about the business side when you're going to cons and stuff. So, um, having that all sync up was really great. So it's like, that's something where like gaming as a hobby would never, like I never would have entered into that whole situation if I wasn't into gaming in the first place. And so in that way, that's kind of what comes to mind. Um, 
yeah, just like I have friends I never el- never would have had el- elsewise. Uh, um, those are kind of the the best things for me that have come out of it. Uh, it's the people. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, the people are usually pretty great. I <laughs> have met some of my best friends in the whole world uh, right. doing this great hobby. Sometimes, though, the people aren't so great. Sometimes there's people you just don't mesh with. And the worst of these people, we have this term of that guy for. So, Nathan, <laughs> if you have a that guy story that you are comfortable with sharing on the show, uh, please give us your that guy story. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, I, I, I have a... a it's not really that guy's story. Okay, so I have a very quick one, which was one where I was uh, at a convention and playing in a, a playtest of a, of a friend's game. But, you know, it was an open, you know, sign up. Anyone could play kind of thing. And one of the other players at that table was falling asleep the entire time. And it was a turn-based game where it's kind of like everyone kind of did a thing and then the next person did their thing and the next person did their thing. And so by the time we get around to this player, they were asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after the <laughs> second or third time, and so here's a pro tip. Uh, so after like the second or third time this happened, my friend who's running the game was like, so it seems like you're very tired and we, it will not disrupt the rest of this game. If you want to go take a nap, like that is absolutely fine. Your health is more important than you being here right now. Uh, and the guy took that as, uh, as an invitation to, to go take that sorely needed nap. And uh, so that was both a, like, I can't imagine being the guy who goes through the game and then just keeps falling asleep. But also, that was a very teachable moment of, like, you know, you can you can gracefully give people an exit uh, for certain things, and it doesn't have to bring the entire game to a screeching halt, uh, especially in a con setting where you don't know what the deal is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of most kind of, like, uncomfortable individual moments, like, is... is are they asleep? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, past that, I mean, yeah, I, I think I'm pretty fortunate in not having anything outside the, I don't know, outside the, the standard kind of like, oh, we weren't really on the same creative page. But like, th- that just happens when, again, when you run lots of demos and stuff like that. Uh, nothing really egregious. My friend has a story about a guy who ate an entire can of uncooked beans at the table while playing a game at a convention. And that is not my story. Uh, so I wouldn't say that, you know, so that, that is all I, that's that summary is all I really can say, but that's what I think of when I think of a, that guy's story. What on earth? Oh my God. Yeah. Now I say that, but I can totally see, uh, you know, when, uh, we finally get to do Savage Expeditions Deadwood. If if someone wants to get super into Deadlands and and you know crack open the can of beans with their Bowie knife mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of one of my Deadlands sessions, uh, I I guess go for it. But yeah, right. that's weird. At least that's thematic a little yeah. bit. This was like in like a like a fourth edition game with like eight players or something like something very not conducive Mm -hmm. (laughs) to a good time yeah absolutely 
Um, I have never had a legit table flip, even though people do go for the, they do the, like as part of, part of playing, there's lots of opportunities for table flipping or suplexing people through tables, grabbing a chair, that kind of stuff. But so far, no one has actually uh, come to physical blows playing one of my games that I know of. Gotcha. That I know of. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Now, this is the last of these introductory questions. Um, the answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. But Nathan, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Uh, I mean, so <laughs> you asked me that question. Um, I, uh, I have a running joke with my friends where I'm out of the shirt game. Cause I've done a couple bootleg t-shirts over the last couple over not the last couple of years even, but a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite of those in terms of concept, but I think the execution could have been a little better, and that's on me, was a, uh, a shirt celebrating um, uh, the Purple Haze. Uh, Kevin Sullivan's the Purple Haze. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came from the sea as part of the like first promo with that guy, and so it's a purple haze slash Jimi Hendrix style purple haze gimmick yeah. on a shirt. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, Chris Hero bought one. Um, <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> that's my claim to fame. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, no, I've done a couple of wrestling themed uh, bootlegs, but uh, I'm out of the shirt game. So when you say, what would you put on the shirt? I say, nothing, I'm out of the shirt game. <laughs> Uh, I do have a shirt. I, I need to do the shirt design for the um, the Kickstarter that funded for Worldwide Wrestling. There is a shirt associated with that, so that's that's my last. That's my uh, retirement match of shirts. Gotcha. <laughs> well, at least Chris Hero didn't look at your shirt and go, "Oh no." <laughs> no, no, he's uh, Chris Hero has always been. Uh, I guess for anyone who doesn't know, he's a, a well-known. Uh, indie wrestler back to WWE, back to indie wrestling, back to, you know, gone in and out of their system a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's always been very supportive of the fan community in indie wrestling. And like he often, uh, he's one of, he, he will buy people shirts and, you know, zines and stuff. Um, so yeah, he's, I don't know him like personally or anything, obviously, but cool dude. Great wrestler. Thanks for buying the shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and anyone who's kind of familiar with uh, with recent uh, WWE or NXT things, you guys will know him as Cassius Ono. Yeah. Uh, but but Chris Hero is uh, his his indie name, and he he has a very good reputation that extends even beyond his work in <laughs> NXT. So uh, we've talked about this a little bit already, uh, but to to quote John Hambone McGuire paraphrasing a Reese's commercial, <laughs> wrestling and role-playing seem to be two great tastes that should taste great together. However, historically, a lot of attempts to combine the two have led to some serious abject failures. I will not reach over and grab my copy of WWE Know Your Role again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we did a whole episode on that, me and Hambone, mm. but 
what is it that you have tried and from everything that I've heard from several different people succeeded in capturing with worldwide wrestling? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, cause obviously I think I did a good job. Um, or else I wouldn't ask people to give me money for this game. Um, I, so what, so the, the thing that makes worldwide wrestling work is that I very specifically and like on the, on the surface say that, uh, you're playing, you're performing for an audience. You're performing for uh, the imaginary viewing audience. Um, when you are role-playing any game, um, you are also performing. You're just performing for your friends, right? Like your group together, you're all playing your roles. You're all performing for each other uh, in whatever that means for you. And you're also working together to make things fun, right? Um, when you have someone in the group that is, uh, that's that guy, uh, that's disrupting the fun, right? That's someone who doesn't, um, who isn't uh, uh, supporting you in your goals for the game. Even if the game is one where you're contentious and your characters are at odds, the players are still working together to have a good time playing the game. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that maps to wrestling like one-to-one wrestling is an art form that is reliant on people working together to entertain an audience uh, and make it look like they're in conflict. Uh, Their characters are in conflict, but the, you know, the performers are not. Um, you know, uh, outside of when things go wrong or (laughs) something like that, which is its own spin on things. So, uh, the fun of wrestling for, I mean, I think so the, a lot of the joy of wrestling for watching real world wrestling is watching the cool moves, right? Seeing these incredible athletic feats and, uh, these like wild things that these, guys and and girls can do on on in the ring but uh mechanizing those with you know roll a d20 to suplex doesn't translate that fun at least for me and i think that is where know your role you know kind of uh uh that that level of replication of watching wrestling Mm -hmm. isn't really what the game does uh what what my game at least about is is capturing the uh capturing the the ongoing never-ending story-ness of wrestling and saying that the wrestling is there we're there for the wrestling that's the activity that we are there for Hmm. but playing out a wrestling match is still telling a story with your friends um so what the dice are there to do is to tell you how well the story you tell translates to the audience not whether your, you know, suplex is really good or whether you actually manage to pin them or not. Uh, pinning them or not is a function of the storyline. So that decision is made at the higher level of of creative, uh, the GM role, um, saying your character is winning this one because I think that'll be most fun for our story. Mm-hmm. And then the characters have, you know, you have moves, you have rules that are pertaining to your characters that allow you to rebook things on the fly uh, in certain circumstances. And so those are the swerves that then uh, 
creative has to integrate back into the story because the whole goal is for that imaginary viewing audience not to realize that that wasn't the plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we want to make it look like that was the plan. Uh, so the kayfabe of it, right? Uh, that 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 shared suspension of disbelief. That's what the game kind of says. Here's what you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, and it's all kind of structured around that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if that actually answered your question. I yeah. just got to talk about the game for a little bit. Yeah, it definitely does because one thing that I found, and this is this is across any kind of portrayal of wrestling outside of wrestling itself. Mostly you see it in video games and then also in the the few attempts at RPGs. You have to commit in those in those uh in the in that presentation of wrestling, you have to commit to a view of in this presentation is wrestling a shoot? Is it real? Right. Mm -hmm. Or is it what we know it is in the real world and where a lot of right. wrestling games have fallen is in order to make this kind of work the way that we think role-playing games ought to work. We need to pretend that the world of wrestling is real, mm -hmm. but what it seems like you've done is basically give a simulation of what wrestling actually is, which I find fascinating. Yeah. And, and to be clear, this is all from the perspective of a fan who mm -hmm. has watched a lot of wrestling and thinks about stuff too much. Um, yeah. You know, this is not from the perspective of being like, you know, in the business in any way. Uh, Cause I'm not. Um, but yeah, it's like the, so, so uh, video games are much, much better at um, replicating wrestling physically. Right. Mm -hmm. um, playing, you know, I don't know, 2k, I mean, I guess it'd be 2K20 now or whatever, you know, any of the uh, wrestling. Fire Pro's better. <laughs> right. Or <laughs> Fire Pro. Well, but then even so like Fire Pro, uh, like has the whole like, like kind of manager simulation part yep. of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, you can really see the divide between people who are, may not people, but like there is a divide in people who like the wrestling games because you get to go and make your, do your create a wrestler and give them every cool move and then go in and then make them do all the cool moves. Yeah. And then the people were like, I want the, the, the sim part. I want to do the, the storyline. I want the manager mode. Hmm. Um, and the, so bringing back in, into tabletop, um, yeah, the dice are not going to simulate a suplex very well, but we can we can definitely talk about manager mode, right? Mm -hmm. We can talk about storylines, we can talk about angles, we can talk about um, uh, production decisions, uh, what happens off camera, what happens on camera, uh, all that stuff is the that's the the uh, you know that's the bread and butter. That's what turns that's what makes wrestling wrestling and not like I don't know uh, not a, not a combat sport. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And another kind of aspect that I feel like is kind of a stroke of brilliance on your part here is when you if you decide to basically turn a wrestling RPG into a combat simulator, at that point, you have to decide how granular you get. Right. To where you're making a D20 roll for every lockup mm -hmm. and duck the clothesline and everything like that. And then you get stupid situations where uh, a headlock is a finish because you didn't roll to escape the grapple or, or mm -hmm. whatever. 
Yeah, and there's definitely been attempts um, to do the like wrestling sim game. Um, I'm not sure. Excuse me. Uh, the one I'm thinking of is one that I don't think was ever published. Um, so, <laughs> which is a little unfair. But like, uh, you uh, just like you can make a. I mean, you can make a role playing game about anything, right? Um, but yeah, if you want to do the granular, how do these moves flow into each other? How do you measure what an effective headlock is versus an effective counter? How do you do those like chains of things that counter each other? What reverses what? All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can certainly model that as a set of rules and and have that be a fun game. Uh, that's just not a game that I want to play over and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one aspect of wrestling that's very important to capture is the differences in the kinds of people who are on each roster. On every mm-hmm. wrestling roster, you've got your uh your your big badass uh brawler, you've got your kind of power superstar, you've got your technician, your high flyer, managers. How does worldwide wrestling capture the differences in performance style in its gameplay. Uh, so when you create your wrestler character, you will pick a gimmick. Uh, and they, so the uh, worldwide wrestling is um, uh, based on a game called apocalypse world. Mm. Uh, so it's powered by the apocalypse for Definitely. those who are familiar with that. Um, and so it uses the, so I'll use the language of playbooks, but they're basically character classes, right? Um, that you're familiar with from other games. So uh, there's 15 gimmicks. Uh, those are the playbooks. Um, and so the gimmicks uh, capture those archetypes without giving you like a lot load of detail about the specifics. So um, the gimmicks are the things like the monster, the technician, the manager, the veteran, uh, the anointed, who's like, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, um, you know, the golden boy who's been like, you're the, you know, you're the, the Rocky Maivia, right? Uh, yeah. Early, early days. Um, and then within the gimmick uh, as a player, you know, to you'll, you will make your character, you'll make all your choices about what their actual uh, small G gimmick is, you know, do they have a cowboy gimmick? Do they, uh, you know, are they a, a bare knuckle boxer? Are they, you know, highfalutin and too good for everyone else, like whatever level you want to engage with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, the idea, the, the basic rule is that you don't share gimmicks. Everyone has a unique gimmick. So that gives you your diverse roster uh, in terms of each character kind of has their own niche, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you play, if you play for uh, a longer term play, a season or more of play, uh, the experience track leads you to having an option to change your gimmick over time. Um, so you can transition that same character from gimmick to gimmick over time. Uh, so, you know, you can go from being that anointed to being, um, uh, uh, you know, to being a monster, to being a veteran over time as, uh, you know, you want to evolve the character. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now, one thing that kind of stands out to me as, 
a possibility for this particular game, and I don't know how much you have experienced this or have tried to uh, to replicate it in your own games. It seems like this is a game that lends itself very well to what in the D&D world is known as the West Marches style, where you have mm-hmm. a large party, uh, like anywhere between 18 to some people do this with 20, and you have, uh, I guess in this case, you, you would book out these matches and then have the people who were on the card for the evening actually show up or zoom in at, at that point and mm. uh, then run the matches. Is that something that you guys designed in there? Is that something you've done or seen done? Uh, I've, I have been told of it. Uh, personally, I have run... Uh, I've run games for, I think, nine players at a time. This is the largest game I've run uh, as a one one discrete session. Um, and uh, uh, I definitely have had some some people email me with, you know, questions or, or just stories or whatever. Uh, there's definitely there's someone who uh, b- before, you know, before pandemic related closures um, played at a bar and had he said that there was basically a, the total roster was like 13 or 14 people. And then any given, they played every two weeks at the same bar. And so anyone who showed up was booked that night. And so any given night would be from four to like eight or nine of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, But they had, yeah, like, like 13 or 14 characters um, on that roster that were all part of the same continuous uh, game. Um uh yeah i mean there's no like logistical or rather the only reasons you couldn't do it with more are are logistical like if you do have that one you know the one the one creative uh who's spinning all those plates i imagine it's a similar for a west marches game where it's like hmm. there's some level at which you can only work with <laughs> however many inputs you have coming at you uh but uh hmm. Yeah, I mean, my default, like, I'm not too ambitious. My default for the game is, uh, like, five or six players is a good sweet spot in terms of having, like, continuous storylines on the same, that concentrate on kind of the same characters over a long span of time. And then a season of play would be, like, six to 12 sessions, maybe. That's kind of the, um, that's kind of what it's tuned for mechanically. Uh, It's not, like you would play for years and years and years with the same characters necessarily. I mean, you could, uh, mechanically, you kind of would like hit all of the things that characters can do after two or three gimmick transitions. Uh, so. Gotcha. You know. But you could always make a new character. Yep. Cause you no, know. absolutely. Now the initial version of this game came out in 2015, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, just, let's see, the, the campaign for uh, second edition was uh, earlier this year, correct? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that campaign has obviously wrapped up. It looks like it was a, a good success. Uh, mm-hmm. So at this point, you're looking at, well, like a t- early 2021 uh, public launch for the game once all backers are fulfilled at that point? Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's that's the, the timeline. Um, I... Am, I mean, things are are on track right now. Uh, knock on wood, anything can happen, as we know, this year. Uh, but the 
manuscript is wrapped up. It's in editing now, uh, which is great. Um, I'm kind of getting some of the uh, last pieces of art done. I'm getting some of the backer stuff done because there were levels where people um, are pitching uh, 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 like finishing moves, uh, like custom finishing moves for to be illustrated, and then also promotions uh, that are going to be in the book as examples or as pick up and play settings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, so there's still some content to finish, but uh, design wise is pretty much done. There's always something that will come up through the editing process. Um, that's just kind of been my experience where there's, you know, a, a play test document that you have today may not match exactly the book, right? There's gonna, mm-hmm. there's still time, but uh, in terms of the big changes, they're all done and all the new content's pretty much done. Um, so that is a long way of saying, yes, early 2021. That's the goal. <laughs> so what does uh, the second edition add uh, to the first edition to, to kind of expand everyone's ability to, to role play in the world of wrestling? Uh, so it does two things. One is that it's consolidating all of the material that had come out for the game. So there was the original book in 2015. And there was a, a, a expansion uh, book um, called International Incident that came out in 2017. And that was kind of, uh, that, that was putting a, a focused look at uh, Lucha Libre, uh, Japanese wrestling, British style grappling, and kind of the uh, kind of contemporary indie scene as a distinct style. And kind of looking at all of that as like, here's more material. <laughs> here's a deeper dive into stuff. Um, and that brought in a couple optional rules and stuff like that. So uh, there were also some PDF su- supplements that have come out uh, over the years. So this, so the second edition is taking a look at all of that material, um, bringing it all together, taking out stuff that's redundant, fixing up stuff that had like rough ed- edges because it came out, you know, years apart, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's that element, and then the addition stuff is. Um, mostly building on some kind of seeds that have been in some of that stuff and then adding some new ideas uh, that just kind of come come together over time. Uh, so I think the biggest differences for someone coming from the first edition uh, are going to be that the, uh, the, excuse my barking dog there for a second. All good. Right now, because I just finished the manuscript, it's all like kind of one big like. Like I'm like, what? What even is new? What was in the old stuff? Um, <laughs> it's all kind of together in my head. Uh, excuse you. There's a dog outside. He has to. He has to defend the house. Absolutely. Um. So specifically, uh, the gimmick list. So there were 10 core gimmicks in the original game. And then over time, those kind of expanded, expanded. So the second edition, I said there's 15. So that's kind of a consolidation and and pruning and kind of bringing, um, bringing that back down to something a little more manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, the promotion stuff is put a lot more front and center. So uh, the... You can play, you know, you can play a one shot and just need the character sheets and reference sheets and like 
some knowledge of the game and be good. But uh, the additional stuff, if you want to play a longer term game, the promotion uh, has rules. So it has it develops like a character. It can get experience. It can get uh, new stuff for it. You can unlock new stuff for your promotion. And that's all based on how popular your wrestlers get because experience in this game is based on popularity. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, as you get over, right? As the audience wants to see you more, that's what gets you advances, new new moves, new cool stuff for your character. So as the characters get more audience, that is what levels up essentially the promotion as well. Uh, so that's, that's placed much more front and center as a like default for play. Um, you don't have to use those rules for promotions, but if you want to, they're like integrated very, very uh, tightly. Um, so there's that. And then the other new thing, this this was in a, a PDF supplement. Um, so I think it'll be new to most people <laughs> is a whole section on going on the road and playing kind of little snippets of scenes for your characters that are not uh, performance based. So the game originally was focused just on the show that you're putting on for the crowd, whether that's in like an arena or whether you're like playing more of a indie promotion or whatever, but like, you know, you're putting on your episode. Um, mm -hmm. Here are the matches, here are the vignettes, here are the, uh, the pre-tapes, you know, put them in your order and go. And then your next session is the next episode. And so the road is, uh, a bunch of stuff for doing things in between episodes uh, when you are on the road, uh, like going to a fan convention and doing signings or going home and seeing your family uh, or getting stuck in, in a small town with the person you hate who happens to be your travel buddy. Um, little, uh, uh, they're kind of, if you want to venture into the life of your characters beyond the arena, Mm -hmm. uh that's all there's a there's a structure for doing that which is uh which i think is pretty going to be new to most to most players um so that's the real like new stuff uh most of the other stuff in there there's a lot of additional kind of design notes and stuff about kind of the logic behind why certain things work the way they do so then when people want to go off and do their own custom stuff there's a stronger basis for uh how to do your own stuff um yeah and then just a bunch of little changes just to make things work better and new art new layout yeah gotcha now elfie will kill me if i don't ask this next question so since since we've already heard him on the show uh what's the dog's name oh that is o henry uh he is a beagle bulldog mix Aww. uh called a beeble um i'm I mostly use my Instagram to post pictures of him. So if you want to see, see the very good boy, uh, that's over at, uh, ND Paylet on Instagram. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, Henry. There we mm -hmm. go. Cause as soon as I, soon as I end this episode, if I hadn't asked that question, she, she would immediately <laughs> go, why didn't you ask him what the dog's name was? The most, in, yeah, it's, he's the most interesting one. I understand. <laughs> yes. Elfie loves him. So, well, good. I'm glad to hear it. Gotcha. But yeah, and and Elfie, to address what what else you said, the problem with Ronan making noise while I'm on the air is not uh, him yowling about his his pom poms. It's when he tries to dig in the litter box. That's that's when he's mm. his most disruptive. 
Ronan, we we have a a, a big fluffy Maine Coon mix named oh, Ronan, nice. and he mm-hmm. is a uh, <laughs> he's a little punk. <laughs> I love him, but he's a little punk. I mean, w- what fun would it be if uh, if our if our very good very good boys and girls didn't uh, demand our attention? Yeah, absolutely. He's. I, I'm almost tempted to say he's like Chris Jericho in cat form, but <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> constantly reinventing himself. Yes, somehow getting getting finer with age, mm-hmm. better with age, like a fine wine. Yep, finding new ways to to get heat, new ways to get under your skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I I feel like that is one of the uh, every couple of years is kind of like if you had told me ten years ago that you know, moment. And I think, you know, if you told me 10 years ago that like Chris Jericho would be the most consistently interesting wrestler of the 2010s. I don't know if I would have believed you, mm-hmm. but here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that he just decided at really kind of the, the height of one of his kind of most popular runs in WWE just to go, no, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. I'm yeah. Go just to here. be like, yeah. I mean, it, there's something kind of, there's something admirable about being like, I don't need to do this, mm-hmm. but I want to do this. And it's like, good for you. Good for you for putting yourself in that position. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And he is, he is making a superstar out of orange Cassidy, a man with a gimmick, that I almost feel like was born out of a wrestling role-playing game. Yeah, there's every so often, you know, we'll, we'll have a, the conversation about like, you know, what, uh, like what, what gimmicks are kind of contextual or kind of era specific and stuff like that. And like, there's, uh, I think there's a there, there's something about the the current era where it's like the the post post ironic yeah. stuff, uh, you know, the social media era, whatever. And I feel like Orange Cassidy's like the guy who figured out how to do it well, like how to do it the most wrestling way. Mm-hmm. Um, where he's yeah, he's uh, he's uh, he's he's quite quite the character. I mean, I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting to see all the stuff that they're doing, and it's great. Um, I mean, one guy that I'm I'm super happy to see getting as big as he's getting right now is MJF because I remember mm-hmm. being at a uh, I believe it was yeah it was a small convention center in Hickory, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, watching and. I did. He wasn't supposed to be there. He was a last minute fill in for someone. Uh, but watching MJF uh, go up against uh, JD Drake from Evolve, hmm. that that was a really good match. Uh, you know, JD Drake's another guy that I took uh, classes from, and so it, it was cool to see those two guys go at it. And even in that little tiny building, I looked right at MJF and I knew that is the most loathsome individual <laughs> ever to set foot in a wrestling ring. And mm-hmm. to see him just continuously up the ante, the the way that he's done, I, I love how much I hate that man. Yeah, he's, I mean, I'd never, I, I didn't know anything about him before AEW started. So I, you know, not, I'm not super 
super hot on him. Um, but I can see, uh, I can see how that initial, like it's, it's funny how like that exposure to someone live will give you that impression for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely is a, is a thing. Like uh, I saw uh, uh, shortly, maybe not shortly. I don't remember the timing, but I, I, I saw Keith Lee live exactly once at this like field house show uh, here in Chicago. Um, I think it was, a, a, I think it was actually an Evolve show now that I think about it, but he had like a, you know, I'd heard about him a little bit, never seen him before. Um, never, never seen him like on YouTube or anything. Just like, Oh, I, people like this guy. He had like an eight minute match with uh, Penta Penta L zero M at the time, mm-hmm. uh, Pentagon junior. And it just was, it was like the perfect eight minute match. Like, you know, not every match needs to be this huge epic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you just want two guys who are really good to just beat the hell out of each other for a couple minutes. And it was just like that perfect little beautiful nugget of wrestling. And I'm like, Keith Lee's the best. I love Keith Lee. <laughs> And I guess other people do too. So I'm glad that uh, he's he's seeing success. Is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah the first the first wrestling show that I went to in person. There's this this great little tiny promote. Well, actually, they're not little tiny. They're they're decent sized actually. Out of Charlotte, North Carolina, called uh, Premier Wrestling Experience PWX. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where Cedric Alexander got his start. Mm. Uh, Tessa Blanchard has been through there. Uh, Hangman Page uh, was there for a while. But there's uh, the first show that I went to that I, I got to see live and, and experience live wrestling. The the very opening match, uh, like pre, pre-show match. Ace Austin was in it, and he's mm-hmm. now currently the uh, the X Division champion and in Impact. And then later on in the card, it was again JD Drake versus uh, Jeff Cobb, mm. which was an outstanding match. Yeah. And then on that same card, Michael Elgin wrestled mm. for the title, and then the the main uh main event match was John Skyler who has done a couple job gigs in NXT and I think he's done one in uh AEW as well. Mm. It was him versus Cody right after Cody mm. uh was got released from WWE and was doing his kind of tour of the different promotions. Yeah. And that was the first time I'd ever seen Cody Rhodes wrestle and mm. it was a transcendent moment. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I managed to catch, uh, um, now we just get to tell wrestler stories, which is fine. Um, (laughs) you know, let me know if you want to bring this back to somewhere else. Um, but, uh, I know what you mean about like seeing, you know, like seeing Cody, I haven't seen Cody live, but, uh, there's that, there is something where it's like someone that you've only seen on TV and then you see them live and it's like, whoa, um, there was a short-lived span of time between when um, Samoa Joe got signed to NXT and he had like, he basically did like a farewell tour a little bit um, Mm -hmm. on the indies. Like there was kind of a a, a couple month span where he just like 
went everywhere uh, before he was going to go vanish, uh, you know, into the into the, the NXT machine. Um, and uh, I got to see, he came through Chicago a couple times. And so I saw him twice in two different companies. And it was just like, I mean, there's something, you know, the, there's something about going to see live shows and see indie wrestling where there's like, it's it's cool to see the you know who your local people are and see who's uh you know who's who's training and who's getting better and 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 that kind of stuff and then like samoa joe comes out and it's like oh there that dude's a star like mm-hmm. he is a wrestler and he is just like charismatic and just like has all the tools and he's 10 feet away and i can see all of his sweat <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this is so good and he was also it's not like the mat i don't like the matches weren't super great because he was also kind of in a i'm going to <laughs> i'm going to nxt i'm not going to do anything super crazy or you know i'm not going to break myself before i get there mm-hmm. um but uh yeah just seeing like that star power in like a small venue is it's it's an experience it's really cool mm-hmm. yeah and i mean again another one of those moments and this was not 10 feet away from me this because it spilled out of the (laughs) ring and it was a falls count anywhere match and so they brawled all over this little tiny venue in charlotte uh zach saber jr and timothy thatcher going Uh, at it on an evolve show right next to me i had to move out of the way because they were coming at me uh and and then the first time someone went through a table and I was right mm. next to the table that they went through and I saw that nice. live that that was that was definitely a moment too one of my absolute favorite matches I've ever seen live was Cedric Alexander versus uh Zack Sabre Jr at mm-hmm. uh, an AAW show out here um just like those two dudes <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> they can put on an amazing match. Mm. Uh, I'd never seen Cedric Alexander before. Um, I'd seen ZSJ a couple times because he came through here a lot at that time. But uh, yeah, yeah, wrestling it can be good. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean that's that's honestly something I've thought about kind of going back to. I don't know that you know with time commitments being what they are, I could go back to regularly watching as much wrestling as i used to watch mm-hmm. because i would watch raw smackdown nxt 205 live and nxt uk <laughs> and then occasionally try to catch impact mm-hmm. uh, so yeah hours of and now wrestling. You have aew also yeah now there's aew um i can't do all of that but going back to seeing live wrestling uh mm-hmm. that's that's definitely something that i want to uh think about doing again because honestly when it's good there's there's really nothing like kind of that experience live because the best moment in professional wrestling is when you can see it happen in front of you where kind of they're at their their most exposed maybe you're not at the uh you're not at the hard cam angle Mm -hmm. so you know, maybe you're behind where the hard cam is, and so you can you can only see people's backs when they're giving promos. But when they make you believe it, even in an unideal situation, that is when wrestling is at its best. Yeah, there's something I say. I I, I picked this up somewhere. I don't remember where. Uh, 
anymore because because I, I because I, I say it too much now. But uh, like wrestling, the best wrestlers are or the best wrestling, at least, is when your expectations for what's about to happen are either completely fulfilled or completely subverted. Like you, you are absolutely sure that you're going to see whatever, and then it happens and, and it's pitch perfect. That's the greatest moment in wrestling. And then you're absolutely sure that what you're going to see, you know, what, what you're going to see next. And it is exactly the opposite. And you are astounded by what a perfect switch that was. And, you know, like just kind of left in awe of like, wow, I can't believe I was so wrong, but that was the perfect thing to do. Um, those are the two moments that like make, I don't know, make the circle of wrestling complete. Uh, seeing, seeing what you want and then seeing what you, uh, seeing what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Now I just have to ask this question because I have a, a pretty, Pretty great bad story here, but what what's the worst wrestling moment that you experienced live? Ooh, experienced live? Yeah. Um, uh, so the worst moment was actually at a... Uh, oh, man, I can't remember now if... I think it was a... It was a WWE show. A friend of mine had tickets and then couldn't go and was like, hey, anyone want tickets to this uh, to this show? And I was like, sure. Uh, cause I usually, uh, out here. So anything that's in Chicago is not in Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. the, the venues are not in the city. So getting to them is actually not that easy. Um, and, uh, even at the time I wasn't watching a lot of WWE, but I was watching NXT. It, it doesn't matter. I think it was a pay-per-view. It was one of them that has a interchangeable name. Like it was a payback or a backlash or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so my friend had tickets, couldn't go. I took them, and me and another friend went. And it was when, um, it was right after uh, uh, Enzo Amore and Big Cass had come up from NXT, because they were on the main roster for a minute. Yep. Uh, There was a pay-per-view where they were in a tag match with the Villains. Uh, if I remember I right, know what you're talking about, and when it's Enzo where got concussed when, yeah, when Enzo <laughs> like hit the that bottom rope on the way out and just flopped. Uh, I mean, I know it looked bad on TV, but like mm-hmm. in the building, it was like, did we just like, did I just see him die? Like it was <laughs> terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pretty far away. We were not in great seats, and so you know you're kind of splitting your attention between the screen and the ring. And like, I happened to be looking at the ring when he went out and you just see just how his body fell out of the ring. I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) And then, you know, we're waiting. And finally they, you know, showed us on the screen that he was, you know, could move and stuff. And it's like, did I just see someone die? (laughs) That was the scariest moment I've ever had watching a live wrestling show. Mm. Um, so there's that, uh, yeah, mostly at other stuff at like indie shows. Um, uh, it's mostly that stuff where someone like hits something and I'm like, oh, my God, what did like, are they OK? <laughs> uh, which sometimes is part of the story and sometimes it's not. Um, 
uh, I forget what his NXT name is now, but uh, Dijakovic. Um, yeah. He, uh, before he went to NXT, uh, he was in some match. Uh, I think this was at AAW. So he's a huge dude, right? Like he's yeah. extremely tall. And his thing, uh, at least at the time, um, was just doing high flying stuff when he really shouldn't because he's just too tall. Yeah. And he, uh, he did like a, he did like a moonsault or something out of the ring and the back of his head bounced off the ring. Like there was like a gate, like barrier, you know, um, between the front row of the crowd and the, and the ring. Uh, and it was just one of those, you know, portable fence things. And he, he did this like, yeah, he did like a backflip or I don't remember exactly what he did. He, he did a flip of some kind where he landed on his feet, but he's so freaking tall that he was bending over way backwards from the momentum and just wanged his head on the back, like the back of his head on that fence. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's like, and, and then he, got up and seemed to be fine. And I was like, okay, either that is the greatest, you know, worked head injury I've ever seen, or he just is made of meat. Like, I don't know how (laughs) someone does that. I was, I was scared. I was surprised he wasn't bleeding. It was very, it seemed very painful. Hmm. So those are my two stories. They're mostly just about injuries. (laughs) So I, as far as injuries go, I saw a girl break her arm one time, which, uh, that, that was a very sobering moment, uh, at my second ever live wrestling show. Mm -hmm. But I was also in the arena, uh, this was the go home show to Great Balls of Fire in 2018, Mm -hmm. Monday Night Mm -hmm. Raw, the go home Raw, um, and I was in the arena for the Alexa Bliss Bailey This Is Your Life segment, uh, mm-hmm. which I heard none of. I had no idea what was going on because the entire arena, the entire Bon Secours Wellness Center in Greenville, South Carolina, was chanting either boring or delete at different points (laughs) because of how abysmal this segment was. Oh boy. It was the, the, uh, a rip off of Mm -hmm. this is your life. The rock that no one asked for. It was mm -hmm. the middle of like the mean girlist feud ever a complete waste of those two talents. Mm -hmm. And it was Again, I heard nothing because everyone in the entire place, including me at certain points, were, mm-hmm. were doing the delete chant and and saying boring and it yeah. it was not Oof. good. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's being bored is one thing. Like being bored at a wrestling show isn't great, but you know, it happens sometimes. Uh and then there's the like this is actively like this is actively wasting everyone's time. Yeah. Like it's wasting the wrestlers time. It's wasting our time. Uh, is this a deliberate insult? I'm not sure. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Now, last of these kind of wrestling questions before we, uh, before we bring it home ourselves here. Uh, sometimes there are hilarious things 
that aren't captured over the television mics or aren't <laughs> purposefully captured over the television mics that are really just for the benefit of the people in the arena. Do you have any of those stories? Mm. Oh man. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, not so not not anything that comes to mind necessarily that's you know that was like part of a match or or anything like that um i will say that one of my favorite things that i've ever seen in a wrestling ring was uh uh a couple of friends of friends of mine uh and i went to see a lucha libre show um that i think i don't even remember i think it was just like we should go to one of these because there's all these, there's this whole world of like indie Lucha and there's a big, uh, there's a big Hispanic, you know, a big uh, Spanish speaking population in Chicago. And so there's like shows all the time um, in like little places and, and whatnot. And so there was one, I think they were, uh, who was it? There was someone <sighs> super crazy was there. Um, and uh yeah, so it was like, oh, and we get to see Super Crazy. That's cool. Um, anyway, so we went to uh, to this Lucha show. Um, it's all in Spanish, uh, which I am barely, like, I, I can read a little bit, but, like, I'm definitely not following the announcer when they're, you know, doing this, the announcing and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a, so it's kind of fun because it's like wrestling transcends language, right? Like, yeah. we could see, like, we had fun. Like, we, you know, the matches were great. Um, but, uh, in between the matches, all these like little kids with masks would run into the ring and just run around. And it was probably the most heartwarming thing I've ever seen. Cause it, like, like kids just from the audience, you know, mm. um, cause they're at a wrestling show and they got to see all the luchadors and they had their masks and they wanted to be in the ring. So they'd run in after matches and like take pictures with the technicos and stuff and, uh then they'd have to get like shoot out by the announcer and stuff like that so uh yeah not not a great not a great pithy story but that was definitely one of the most kind of like oh this wrestling can be really nice like it's really like family you know it was like family friendly lots of families are there uh and it was also you know, great wrestling so mm -hmm. there's my there's my happy my happy wrestling story for you <laughs> One time, uh, I was at a Ring of Honor taping, and uh, it was a six-man tag. It was Dalton Castle and the Boys versus SCU. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kazarian hit one of the boys with, like, a head kick. And Dalton Castle goes, come on, ref, that was a closed foot. <laughs> and i just lost my shit for the rest of the evening over that line that is that is very good <laughs> uh i do have a line in in the manuscript somewhere that that says close fish close fist punches are illegal in professional wrestling mm -hmm. just want to make sure that that is known mm -hmm. And then uh, I, I guess the other one that's that's really funny. It was David Starr and uh, uh, Martin Stone, Danny Birch. Uh, for those mm -hmm. of you who watch NXT UK, um, 
they were having like a, a super technical absolute clinic of a match and at the very end they were doing the whole you know is david Starr gonna shake his hand because he was kind of flirting with a heel turn in that promotion at that point and uh he he goes to do it and you know uh, martin stone standing there going shake my hand shake my hand and someone in the crowd goes don't do it and martin immediately looks over and goes why not <laughs> nice yeah, it's those uh, those little moments where you really get the the face to face that they can really make it. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Well, this has been a a fun evening of of <laughs> role playing talk and and talking professional wrestling. Uh, those of you who aren't necessarily into professional wrestling, I hope our excitement for this particular uh, form of entertainment is is at least uh, contagious enough that you'll. Uh, give Nathan's book a look and and check out some wrestling yourself. Uh, so Nathan, at this point, I'm going to turn it over to you to promote anything that you've got to promote anywhere you want to direct people's attention. Uh, it's it's yours now. Go for it. Uh, great. Well, thanks again for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to have these kinds of of conversations. Um, all of my work, all of my games, um, as well as uh, zines and some podcast projects are at my website, ndpdesign.com. Um, the page for Worldwide Wrestling uh, has a download for the playtest documents for the second edition. Um, so you could kind of, uh, and that includes all the gimmicks. Uh, so you could kind of take a look at those if you want to get a sense of, of what I've been talking about. Um, and if you happen to already have the first edition, the playtest stuff will kind of get you, get you going into, uh, checking out the, what's, what's new for the second. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see. Other than that, uh, I'm currently, uh, through originally it was through August, but it's probably going to be through Labor Day. Um, I actually am running a sale on some of my other games, um, I have to clear some space uh, as I will have some incoming product, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. So my uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe um, Jacksonian America monster hunting game, Imp of the Perverse, uh, is on sale, uh, as is a game that I published that I did not write um, called Trouble for Hire by Kevin Allen Jr., which is a road movie adventure game of kind of... Uh, uh, combining, um, you know, your your uh, Smokey and the Bandits with your Fasts and the Furiouses, uh, if the kind of interaction is uh, revs your engine, if you will. Those are both uh, beautiful, full-color hardcover books. Um, they're on sale for $20 right now, which is a pretty significant discount, as I do need to clear some space, and they are heavy. Uh, so that's running through Labor Day. Um, and, yeah, other than that... Um, I am not doing a whole lot of social media right now. Uh, in addition to the dog, I also have a small baby in the house. Uh, so, you know, my my focus is limited. But if you want to see pictures of said dog uh, or hit me up about anything um, on social media at ND Paoletta on Twitter and Instagram. And if you are interested, speaking of the 70s, if you are interested in the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files, starring the uh, immortal James Garner, uh, another game designer and uh, friend of mine, Epidiah Ravishal, and I do a podcast about that television show called 200 a Day, 
and it is uh, available wherever podcasts are sold. So if you want to hear two, if you want to hear two nerds talk about a TV show, I know a podcast format no one has invented. Um, <laughs> you can uh, you can check that out. We um, we talk about the like narrative and story stuff a lot because we're both narrative designers and it's a really well written show. So that's cool. my other thing to plug. Gotcha. Well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode of Rolling Bones. Uh, just to let you know what's coming up later this week on Saturday, I have my hard copy and PDF of John Harper's Blades in the Dark, so I'll be doing a full-on review of that system, uh, letting you guys know my uh, my candid thoughts on that particular system since you know John's been on the show and so many of my friends have been playing that game. I'm, I'm excited to dig in and, and see what I feel about it. And then uh, this time next week, uh, 8 o'clock on Rolling Bones, uh, my friend Sean Andrews and I, he's a host of a Star Trek podcast uh, that I'll be guesting on uh, here in, in the not-too-distant future. We will be taking a deep dive into the world of Star Trek role-playing uh, with special focus on Modiphius's Star Trek Adventures, which he is GMing a game that I am playing in. So we'll be talking a lot about Star Trek and its history of role-playing, specifically about the recent stuff, because it's really, really good. Um, but until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.